turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You are listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, Colorado's conservative podcast, providing insight and thought-provoking discussions on Colorado's most critical policy issues. Let's join Michael Fields for today's edition. Welcome to another edition. That's the legislative wrap-up edition of the Advanced Colorado Rundown. My name is George Brockler. This is Michael Fields. And today we have a very special guest, first time in the rundown. You may know him as Colin Larson. We know him as Representative Colin Larson from the great county of Jefferson, the county of my youth. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Great to be here. How long did it take you to sober up after the session ended? Uh, it, uh, you know, every year, uh, this is my fourth year here, and every year I, I think at the end of session, they can't possibly be this bad next year. And uh, every year I have been disappointed. So uh, this is the fourth year by far the worst. And uh, I guess I'm looking forward to 2023 being uh, even worse than this. I don't know how it's possible. Oh, Michael. Yeah. How, I guess in the last, you know, week of session or so, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, delaying, there was a lot of talk, there's a lot of negotiating. One bill uh, that we wanted to, to delve into a little bit was what happened on property taxes, knowing that you, uh, we're kind of at the heart of, of those negotiations. So I guess how, you know, to walk us through what happened with property taxes and how we ended up where we ended up. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this one was an interesting one. Um, so myself, uh, another representative, actually a Democrat from Denver, uh, Alex Valdez, were the proponents of a ballot initiative that some proponents in the business community brought forth Uh, to bring some stability to the increase in property tax rates that we're seeing here in Colorado. As many of you might remember, we as a state uh, repealed the Gallagher Amendment uh, last election, which uh, Gallagher had its issues. It had been on the books for uh, several decades, and it created this big chasm between residential and commercial property tax rates. Um, And we ultimately ended up repealing that, uh, which I was not a fan of because the proponents of repealing it uh, didn't have a replacement for it. They just said, oh, we need to get this off the books because it's created this this disparity in residential and commercial property tax rates. Well, they repealed it. And all that that did was just froze our property tax rates uh, and then resulted in a massive property tax increase that we all saw. Uh, when we got our property valuations this year, um, I'm sure you guys, your guys' eyes popped out of your skull just like mine uh, when you got it this year, and and you know it's going to get worse, frankly, two years from now. So the idea was to create stability, still allow uh, those local property taxes to grow, but at a predictable rate that's more in line with the actual cost of providing services by local government not to have this skyrocketing rate. So uh, we had that ballot initiative going forward. The governor uh, and some legislators were a little concerned about it. Was this the best way to do that? Uh, You know, Representative Valdez and I, and then, you know, ultimately John Brackney, uh, a former Rappo County commissioner who's with me on a couple of other uh, initiatives, 
decided, hey, look, you know, we're willing, as long as we can deliver real results and real property tax savings in the short term, we're willing to put this on the shelf for a few years if we come up with a short-term package that, you know, delivers some relief to some pain that people are going to feel this year, um, and then a commitment to work in earnest going forward. So that was what was supposed to have happened. Um, the terms we ultimately came to was $700 million in property tax relief over the next two years, a couple of reforms to the assessment appeals process that are really important um, to some higher value uh, properties, uh, thinking commercial properties, that sort of stuff, and then a commitment to work in earnest over the next two years. Um, that was the deal we thought we had. And then, uh, you know, the legislature had to go and get involved. And turns out $700 million uh, turned into $500 million. And then they took the remaining $200 million and just repurposed uh, some Tabor tax relief that people were going to get anyway under law uh, and moved it up to this year and, you know, slapped a shiny new new label on it and called it property tax relief. That I thought was pretty disingenuous. Um, you know, politics gets a nasty reputation for a reason. And uh, this was probably politics at its worst. So. Yeah. And, and looking at, you know, Tabor refunds have been a big topic of discussion this whole session. Obviously there was the redo to how they, uh, you know, are refunding that money. Um, you know, Governor Polis and the Democrats try to act like they were handing this money, you know, voluntarily over to, to Coloradans, which isn't the case. You talked about property taxes. Uh, some of the the cuts being made uh, are just our money, you know, that we were going to get anyway. And then a lot of these, you know, other ways they're saying that they're saving people money, credits, et cetera, come from our Tabor refunds, you know, eventually. So I guess, you know, it seemed like a common theme this session was let's take Tabor refunds that are already going back to people uh, and kind of couch them as, as these, you know, the benevolence of Democrats giving money back. How did you and the other Republicans, you know, feel about that or respond to it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we were of split mind because here's the deal. Uh, first of all, it is it's totally craven politics for them to do what they did. Um, you know, you got Chris Hansen and Jared Polis and, uh, you know, Mike Weissman, who are some of the most anti-Tabor, anti-taxpayer crusaders in the entire state up there celebrating uh, tax refunds. So, you know, the, the hypocrisy was, was pretty ranked to be on display. On the one hand, I'm excited because now we have the Democrats on the record as supporting Tabor, talking about how great this is. Uh, this is something that I hope that we will continue to remind them of uh, after this election. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it it was just really disappointing and really disingenuous. You know, the most egregious one was the the effort to move up the Tabor refund to September 30th of this year, which, I mean, literally, that is the closest you could come to writing into the bill, give people a Tabor check with their ballot. Um, I mean, I'm surprised, frankly, they didn't try to rewrite the language so they could actually stuff the checks into the ballot so that people received it. But that's why you see the September 30th date. If they wanted to give relief to people, they could have sent those checks out July 1st uh, with the beginning of the new fiscal year. But they didn't. They targeted September 30th. It's just totally naked partisanship. Um, and, you know, to see them doing that, there were a whole slew of other bills. There were some reductions in a, in a you know, licensing fees. Uh, my one of the more more annoying ones to me was the effort to reduce the annual biz, business registration fee to a dollar this year. Those fees are typically ten dollars, 
Um, and, you know, that was just particularly annoying to me because I owned a, a small business before I got elected. Uh, and I went down and just made the comment, said, look, if you think $9 is going to help a small business make it through Denver, make it through what's going on in Denver right now, you know, wake up, go out and actually talk to a small business, keep your $9, um, you know, I'll find out, I'll, f- I'll figure out a different way. So, yeah, I mean, but, but I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's politics. I suspect the second that this election is over, we're going to start hearing how awful Tabor is from the same people that were out there celebrating it. Um, and I just hope that the media holds them accountable and we keep replaying those clips of, of them talking about how great this was in an election year and just ask what changed. You should start holding your breath now. I really <laughs> think the media is about to come uncorked on the hypocrisy over yeah. Tabor and other things. Another area um, that has been a real hot button one here is the exploding crime rate. And specifically this session, fentanyl, which is widely regarded, and I think properly so, as the most addictive, deadly substance that we've seen in a long, long time on the streets. And in 2019, the legislature made some decisions to drop a whole bunch of possession of a whole lot of horrible drugs, including fentanyl, down to misdemeanors. And that has not caused, but has certainly exacerbated what we're seeing out there. This year was supposed to be the mulligan. It was supposed to be the opportunity to get back in and look under the hood, see what works, what doesn't, try to get some money here, there, and everywhere, and then fix this I think, mistake. I mean, even the governor called um, fentanyl anthrax and a poison, and there should be zero amount of this you can possess without it being a felony. What happened and why? Yeah, and and this was one of the more heartbreaking ones, in all honesty. Um, because look, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about hundreds of people dying of this stuff. Um, and the fact that we did not ultimately end up coming up with a bill that's going to really make a meaningful difference in my mind um, from a law enforcement perspective really is heartbreaking. Um, and George, you know, this is, this is more your bailiwick uh, with your experience as a DA, but, you know, look, we had a, we had a fentanyl bill moving forward this year, um, you know, would have dropped possession. Well, ideally would have dropped possession of fentanyl down to zero um, for a felony for, for any amount of fentanyl. And, and the idea behind that, you know, as you well know, it's not to go and throw the low-level drug user who really just has, you know, a substance abuse problem in jail. What that's for is to disrupt the supply chains, you know, these dealers and, and drug distribution. It's a sophisticated business. And they're instructing their low-level people on the street how to get around getting charged with a felony, how to get around being thrown in jail and taken off the streets. If we dropped it down to zero, um, we would have given law enforcement the tools they need. And the reason I know that is because I don't know anything about law enforcement, because like I said, I owned a coffee shop before this, but all of law enforcement was coming down to the Capitol and speaking with a almost unified voice, Democrat, Republican, sheriffs, DAs, all saying, we need this tool, we need any amount of fentanyl to be a felony in order for us to disrupt supply chains, get this stuff out of the supply, off the streets. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there are some, some mostly uh, folks on the left um, who were just so committed to this idea of, of sticking to the 2019 law and preventing any kind of criminalization for, for small amount possession, even though with fentanyl, we're talking about any amount kills, um, and they were just so committed to it that we couldn't get it through. Uh, and indeed, even the Republican co-sponsor who had been working in good faith 
uh, had to pull his name off at the end. He was holding out hope that we could get a decent deal, but at the end, we just couldn't couldn't let it come through. Is your sense of it that absent some change in the makeup of the legislature that this is a done issue even for next session, that there's an unlikelihood that we'll be able to go back and even improve this thing better? You know, honestly, I, I hope that that's not the case, and I, I don't think it is. This was a strange um, it was a strange vote was one where you saw uh, members of the Republican Party voting yes for the bill, members of the Democratic Party voting no. There were reasons all over the map. Um, And I think some of the worst, most radical, you know, kind of we can't criminalize any amount of fentanyl possession uh, elements are are leaving, Um, whether because of term limits or uh, deciding not to run for reelection. So I do think the next year, if we come back, um, especially depending on what happens on the streets, you know, uh, then it, I don't know if you guys have been to downtown Denver recently. It's a sad state of affairs out there um, and the deaths are climbing. And I think, you know, if we pass this law, well, we passed this law and it's signed in the law. But I think if the next six months don't yield a significant reduction in the crime rate and a significant reduction in these deaths, that the legislature may come back and revisit that. Um, it's going to be a tough uphill climb. Definitely most of the most of the opposition is going to be coming from the left. Um, but I do hope that we can come back, take another bite at the apple, get possession down to zero. And there were some other things that needed to be fixed in there as well. Some tougher penalties for distribution, um, you know, that I think we could we could put on there. But I think a lot of it's going to depend on what happens in this election and what happens in the interceding six months. And unfortunately, I think the only thing that's probably going to move us to action is going to be continued loss of life, which, you know, breaks my heart, but that's what it is. Two to three Coloradans a day, I think closer to three a day we're losing to these overdoses. Michael? Yeah, just to shift gears one last time, uh, you're somebody who's very influential when it comes to education uh, as an issue at the Capitol. Are there any bills that we should be aware of uh, that really impacted education this session, or are there things that we should be thinking about, uh, you know, given the state of education in our state right now? Yeah, so uh, there's two bills I actually want to draw attention to. The first one will be fairly consequential. It's Senate Bill 70. Um, And it was a redo uh, of the teacher evaluation system. This has been a pretty controversial topic since we passed it back. Gosh, I think it was in 2010. Um, And, and, you know, there's been a lot of of push and pull. uh, And Senate Bill 70 is sort of this grand compromise bill. It ultimately, it it did drop down the amount, the percentage uh, that a teacher's evaluation is directly linked to the standardized test scores of their kids. It gets a little arcane. Um, it, it wasn't something that I necessarily loved, but it was one of those things with the amount of stakeholdering and the amount of negotiation that took place. Everybody was in a place where they didn't love it. They didn't hate it. Uh, and I'm, I'm a big fan of when you when you negotiate something like that, you stick to your word and you stick to your compromise. So that bill uh, will take effect. It'll have an impact. Hopefully, uh, it will kind of put to bed this issue of teacher evaluations writ large. Um, and then the other bill that I think we should pay attention to, not necessarily because of its enormous impact, um, but just because of the political dynamic around it, was uh, Senate Bill 197, which passed in the final days of the legislature. 
The reason I point this one out is it dealt with innovation school zones, which is something you mostly just see in Denver public schools. Uh, it's a form of public school choice, a lot of charter schools and, and alternative governance structure. The reason this is an interesting vote is because for the first time in the four years that I've been down there, it's a bill that passed without a majority support by the Democrat Party. So it passed with near unanimous support from the legislative Republicans and a minority of the Democratic caucus. And we got to that magic number of 33. The reason why that's interesting is because, you know, typically Colorado, and by typically, I mean, literally every single bill for the last four years, with the single exception of this one, uh, if a bill didn't have a support of the majority of the Democratic caucus, it didn't pass into law. This is the first time that's an exception. I think it really shows that the Democratic Party is drifting further and further to the left, away from school choice, away from things like charter schools, um, you know, even public school choice, in favor of this more, you know, let the zip code determine a, a child's fate. You go to the school that you're districted into, unless you're fortunate enough to have parents that can pay to send you to a private school. Um, it's something that is really dangerous, frankly, in my mind, uh, and really is a departure from where we had been uh, as a state. We had broad buy-in on both the Democratic and Republican sides on public school choice at the very least for the last couple of decades. And over the last couple of years, we have seen the Democratic Party drift further and further away from that and back to this kind of, you know, um, zip code is destiny model, which we know doesn't work. Um, and and is is sad, but I think that's what 197 was about. So let's keep an eye on on things like that next session. See if there's more votes like that coming down the pike. Well, I, I think that's an important uh, issue. Obviously, school choice, especially coming after the pandemic, uh, such an important issue for families. And mm-hmm. and looking at our scores, right? The fact that kids are are failing uh, to to you know read and write at grade level for, for too long. So appreciate all the work that you. Yeah. Uh, have been doing on education. So many important issues happening in our state right now along the lines of, of public safety, of, uh, you know, affordability and of education. So appreciate all the work that you did this session. We'd love to have you uh, come back on at another time uh, and just really appreciate you joining us today. But this Absolutely. time sober, if you could come on sober next time. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. I, I just, uh, indeed, indeed. after the session, it's just live at a bar for a week. That's what I would do. So no, indeed. Sadly, you know, we got it's an election year, so uh, you know, no rest for the weary. But but it's it's a pleasure. I uh, still love doing it. Thank you for having me on. Really excited about what you guys are doing. Uh, Thank you. Thanks the good for the work. work you're doing down yeah. there. Keep it up. And uh, this will wrap up our this is our last during the legislative session rundown. I'm sure we're gonna have more after this, but this was it. We started with Hugh McKean way back. It feels like at the Ice Age, we finished up here with getting ready to land on the moon with Representative Larson. Michael, as always, thanks, and I will check in with you next time. Thank you. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, uh, go to your local podcasting platform. The one that I use is Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the millions of others out there. Download it, subscribe to it, share it with your listener base, with your friends, with your family, and let's get this thing going. You've been listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, brought to you by Advanced Colorado, the conservative thought leader, driving dialogue and solutions to Colorado's most critical policy issues. Find them at advancecolorado.org.